So Adam, I've always been aware that somewhere in the dim, dark and distant past, you had a significant interest in the new atheist movement and in particular Christopher Hitchens. And at one point, I believe you had the biggest archive of Christopher Hitchens videos on YouTube, but not anymore. You went through a significant change of position on this at some point, as the world seems to have done since 2006. So maybe jump in wherever you feel is appropriate uh, with how, with your background, intellectually, philosophically, how you initially became interested and pulled into the new atheist movement. Yeah, it started in the early 2000s, actually. Uh, I say approximately about 2003 or four. I was always an atheist, secularist. I didn't believe in God uh, from an early age. And my family wasn't very religious at all either. So what I did was back in the early 2000s, I began an interest in theology, monotheism specifically, uh, for reasons other than I just wanted to know more about these specific religions. However, I was... Was it related already, at all to, sorry, Adam, was it related at all to 9-11? Um, no, actually, it wasn't uh, initially. Um, I, I don't know why I studied monotheism to begin with. I, I just don't know why. Um, I think mainly because I took a psychology background in college that I was already interested in the mindset of groupthink, uh, which was something that very appealed to me about why large groups of people would believe in a certain ideology, for example, uh, whether it be religious or political or apolitical for that matter. Um, but for some reason, about 2003, right around then, when I first traveled to Las Vegas and lived there for 12 years, I, I, I tried to, well, I, I thought I was studying theology, but I really wasn't, but I'll get into that in a minute. And the, the one thing I, I did was I started, um, beginning to uh, co coexist with other atheists that thought like me. And this was the big mistake. I think this was the mistake that most people uh, do is that when they adhere to a certain ideology, whether it's religious, political, apolitical, whatever, they tend to gravitate to people who think just like them. And for the, back then I, I didn't realize what I was doing. So when I did that, I basically went into like forums, online viral forums, and, uh, and I commiserated with atheists, like-minded people in these atheist rooms, uh, viral rooms that we would talk and, you know, there would be like 20 to 30 people on daily basis in these rooms. You get to know one another. But one thing I, I noticed was that any type of religious figure that would enter these rooms and debate one of these people, it would be like a 20 on one or 30 on one. And there would be no, um, no benefit for anybody involved, whoever, was listening, whether they be atheists or religious. In fact, it would just be uh, just one group entirely beating down on another. And then I became more radical in this type of mentality. So instead of an atheist, I became an anti-theist. And so I started uh, listening and watching uh, certain people that um, were affiliated with this radical atheism. One of them was Christopher Hitchens who I actually liked. I, I, I thought he was a linguistic, uh, exceptionally linguistic uh, speaker. Um, and I liked his aggressive uh, tone toward uh, religious figures. And so there's a YouTube, lot to like about him. So just to clarify, though, at this point, you've gone into this uh, interest in 
religion with a psychological perspective. And from the outset, you've had the perspective of explaining this the way you may, might explain a cult, like something that is a destructive force for humanity. And why do people get drawn into kind of believing fairy tales as an explanation for how the universe came to be? Would that be a, a rough summary of your outlook at that point? Yeah, it would be. Because when I when I commiserate with these people, I didn't think of it like a cultish mentality, so to speak. I just saw it as a group of people that thought just like me and that we were the rational ones. Hmm. That we were outside of the the, the brainwashing or the, sect, the, the, the sectarian mindset, not knowing that that's exactly what we were doing. So when I, when I started delving deeper into the issue of anti-theism, I started coming across the works of Christopher Hitchens, who at the time I respected greatly because of his uh, linguistic speaking skills and his very aggressive demeanor toward uh, these religious uh, figures um, that I grew to hate after a while. And uh, after Christopher Hitchens, I, well, I opened up a YouTube account. And I opened this YouTube account, not under my own name, under a, a synonym. And I, over the years, the next uh, three years, I collected so many Hitchens videos that I was the largest um, purveyor of Hitchens videos, I think, in the world at the time. And I had like anywhere between one to two, I think it was like 1,500 videos of Christopher Hitchens. All did, of, that, all of did that get a lot of views back then? Because on one hand, I'm thinking that there can't have been that many people doing it back then, but then there were a heck of a lot less people on YouTube as well. So did you get a lot of views for people? Well, YouTube started in 2006. So what, yeah. when I opened up that YouTube in 2006, I, I had um, just beginning to get like a following or whatnot. Wasn't very big at all. Wasn't very big at all. But at the time later on, in between the years, I'd say, this is after I left uh, atheism, or I left the, uh, the, the interest in atheism. Right around 2000, 2008 to 2010, we saw a big channel start coming up. Thunderfoot was, was one. Uh, DPR Jones, who's recently deceased. Uh, these, are, these guys were really big. And you know, later on, you had atheists at large, uh, Edward Current and what- There was a guy called the Amazing Atheist, wasn't there? Yes, the Amazing Atheist. I haven't seen his thing in years now, I don't know what he's doing. But at the time, no, these channels were just beginning, they became huge. And if I remember correctly, I think Thunderfoot and Amazing Atheist had over a million subscribers. Oh yeah, I'd say so. So they were huge, man. They were just gigantic. But at the time I was just beginning. So I was, I didn't have much of a following in the beginning stages of YouTube either. Uh, so that was that was a, a problem at the time, but I didn't care. You know, I just didn't care if it was a big channel or not. It wasn't until one day I was in a forum. This is three years later, about 2006, right around then, 2006, seven, where uh, an atheist I grew to respect, and he was biblically literate at the time, which made him even more formidable, told me that, you know, my act was getting old and because all I was doing was basically cursing these people out showing my vitriol for them. And it reflected on me, huge. And I said, why is this guy basically going against me? Why does he hate me for? Um, I always wanted to know why he, he did that, but not knowing that what he did basically was show me a mirror to myself and say, well, look what you've become. And so what I did was basically got off the internet for a year to self-reflect. And I said, what made myself, you know, what, what was it about me and my demeanor that made it so abhorrent for this individual who I respected more than any other atheist outside Chris Hitchens. And because of this, I basically saw what I was becoming and I was becoming 
the very people that I despised, which was the overly religious, because I was a becoming and I was an anti-theist, somebody who was a radical atheist who despised and generalized every single religious person as being uh, a conspiracy theorist or just a radical fundamentalist. And that wasn't the case. So what I did was I basically self-reflected and changed my life. And during the course of those months of self-reflection, I decided to go back to the roots of my psychology and do philosophy. And it wasn't until I came across a very, uh, very famous Indian philosopher, uh, the late Jiddu Krishnamurti, who basically uh, advocated that self-reflection is the real revolution that we need to enact first, the revolution, not outwardly uh, toward a, a government agency. He goes, first, the, the individual needs to change. What we need to change about ourselves is to get rid of these human applications, which I always say they're human constructs, which are divisive in its nature. And that is religion, politics, racism. And when I say that we don't need religion, I'm not saying we don't need spirituality because there's a major difference between the boats. Just like with racism, there's, you know, there's a difference between racism and community or, or um, I'm sorry, racism and um, uh, culture. And when I say we don't need government, that we don't need cult, uh, community. There's a difference between these uh, uh, paradigms. And one is, one is that one with, with, with these human constructs, they're very divisive and, and seclusive. With, with the other paradigms that I just mentioned, they're, they're very outwardly, they accept everybody as is without any divisive uh, entrapments. And that's what Christian Murdy changed within me. So how did you um, come to see the difference between the religion which you were, had been railing against and what you're referring to as spirituality? Well, I, I, I then studied Christianity at, at first in the beginning. And this is when I started studying 9-11, right around 2006-07. But right before that, I tried to do the best to try to look at the Bible in a different view. And I think, according to my estimation, to my studies about the Bible, is that too many people look at the Bible literally. And I think with the Bible, in much of its precepts and much of its... Um, Many of it's uh, uh, in the books of Judges or the, uh, the, the newer books, the, newer, uh, the New Testament's new books. They see the world through an allegorical framework. In other words, Christ basically was speaking allegorically. But if you took the words of Christ or the Old Testament, literally, you become this you know, monstrosity from within. Mm. And that was, you know, you can't, you can't take that which was in the third or in the early century period of BC and apply it to today, it's impossible because, you know, we, we are a much different people. We're a much different um, mentality and much different living. You can't go back. In other words, if you were living in the old Testament point of view, you're no different than say, you know, what the Taliban are living through in, uh, in Afghanistan or in Kabul or in the, the Southern in the Southern mountains. You just can't live that way because we're different minds and different people. What you can take away from the Bible is the is that they knew more about humanity than we do now, as in general, because back then they didn't have technology. Back then they didn't have an understanding of virology or biology, they, but they knew about the human condition. They knew about human behavior. And even though some of those people live barbarically, there are some precepts that can be obtained and even lived up to today. 
I mean, some of the parables that Christ talked about in the New Testament can be relatable to today. They really can be, you know, be good to your fellow man. And as soon as you see that you don't need to follow religion aspect, so to speak, but if you live through the spiritual aspect that Christ was talking about, or that the prophet Muhammad was talking about, then you can understand that you can get along with your fellow man without having that divisive or um, uh, uh, tribunal, tri uh, the tribalistic point of view, where we see each other as different ideologies and different sects. Okay, okay, I think that's like a central point, really, about the New Atheist Movement, is the rejection of allegory and the rejection of symbolism. And I think that's what's come back into the world. So my experience was that the only people who read the Dawkins, Hitchens, Harris books on atheism were themselves committed atheists and they wanted their own view of the world reflected back at them. And as years passed, I found that to be wrong. Actually, I found I was wrong about that as I encountered people, often people from different cultures who mm. had grown up really immersed in a religious worldview in a way that certainly in the culture I live in, it's impossible. Or I suppose, unless you grow up in a particular family and you are homeschooled or something, it's impossible to be that immersed in religion here. Probably not quite the same in the United States. You could probably have more mental immersion growing up in certain states, um, but in Europe, not so much. And I have encountered people who say they read particularly Dawkins' book and just the, the criticisms he would make of that very literal interpretation of religion broke them out of seeing the world that way. And they felt he'd done a, a great service to them. So they had to acknowledge there was like a positive aspect, a positive side to this new atheist movement in helping people transition out of taking this very literal interpretation of what I would see as symbolic stories. Um, and often those people didn't necessarily become hardcore atheists. They often say, okay, well, maybe this view, if you take it too far, is limited also. And maybe there's a more kind of spiritual perspective on life that we should at least be open to. Um, but there was that positive side to it. But on the, on the other side, what I felt about it at the time was that the, these figures like Hitchens and Dawkins were tremendously symbolically illiterate. Like they couldn't see that you, these stories weren't necessarily meant to be taken literally. They could only interpret religion on a literal level. And in that sense, weirdly mirrored the people they were criticizing. I, yeah, I would agree. Now, one thing I noticed about with the new atheists like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and Hitchens and even Daniel Dennett is that um, outside of Dennett, those three basically would debate the more radical, fervent religious figures of the time, such as um, Rabbi uh, Shmuley Boteak or uh, somebody like uh, a, a Sunni Salafist extremist of Islam. These are low-hanging fruit. These are people who don't know anything about the religion or the spiritual side of Christ and the, uh, like the Jubilees or the, the, uh, the, the forgotten books of, of, of the, uh, the Apostle Thomas, um, you know, the books that weren't added yeah, the to Gospel the... Gospel of Thomas, yeah. Yeah, the, the Gospel of Gospel, Thomas, yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. But if you, they never debated true theologians. That's the one thing I, I found out later. That where I, I basically, oh, they, they're, they're debating at least religious figures. Yeah, religious figures, but none are notable uh, theological figures. Figures like Thomas Keller or Catherine Sonderberger or Rowan Williams. Um, but later on, that they would debate people like Ken Ham or um, 
uh, the one uh, homosexual preacher. That yeah, the out. guy from Colorado who was the preacher to yeah. Porsche. I mean, that was an incredible thing. I, I'm not going to remember his name, I don't think. It's going to come back to me in like two hours' time, Adam, you know? Right, but, for uh, sure. Dawkins made a TV show featuring him, and he came across terribly, right? He's come something... So, um, so you, yeah, that, that was the kind of thing, this very literal interpretation. That guy went on an interesting journey. I mean, it's very hard to see how how genuine these people ever are, but he certainly seemed to become somewhat reflective after he, you know, was caught with the choir boys and drugs and everything. Yeah. And these, you know, these are the people who are called the hypocrites and, you know, Christ even talks about them in the Bible that many will come under my name and speak, you know, the words, but they, they're, they're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. That's what he was relating to that. These people will basically call under his name. You know, these preachers like Joel Osteen and Benny Hinn, and Kenneth Copeland, you know, millionaires many times over. Mm. You know, Christ didn't make come to make them rich. In fact, he hated the, these types. And, you know, these are the money changers that he talks about in, you know, the New Testament. Um, but one thing I, I noticed is that, you know, with, with the new atheists like Hitchens and Harris and, and, and Dawkins, is that they would go after the very people that would espouse these false doctrines and use it to their own uh, agendas and their own benefits and think that this was actually a win against the ideology of Christianity as well. Well, no, these people weren't Christians, so to speak, much in the same light as um, Al-Qaeda is not a, a true member of, you know, Islam itself. These are people who basically adhere to a very radical fundamentalist sect that has no mm. affiliation to Islam itself, but to the Hadiths themselves. So like these preachers, they'll basically twist and turn the New Testament to their own uh, to their own benefits. Meanwhile, these people aren't biblically literate. These people are millionaires. They don't they don't basically teach the Bible. They have it, sure, at the podium, but they never really read it. And these are the you know, the, the real Christian theologians are basically those who don't have a million dollar mansion in Texas or in Florida. And they don't have mega churches that adhere to the evangelical Christians because the evangelical Christians are not really true Christians. And those aren't the true house of the Lord. These are basically Zionists, you know, nationalists. These are people who use the religion to propagate and feel morally superior to the rest of the world. Well, that's what I found out with the atheists. The new atheists basically propagated that they were the real reasoning, the real rational mindsets of the world, and they were going to defeat the evils of religion and all they were doing was basically creating a fervent mentality within these new atheists and i was one of them I did you, i'm from that background did you notice the other dark mirroring that arose between the the new atheists and the most fervent and militaristic of the religious that the new atheists at one moment they're calling for a rejection of religion and the religious because they're dangerous for humanity and particularly dangerous in the era of terrorism and nuclear weapons and then they do this strange loop where all of a sudden they, they say well because they're so dangerous we may need to initiate massive levels of violence against them we might need to kill as many of the religious as possible we may need a first strike nuclear option um, and that was sam harris that was was advocating for that and really twisting studies around to to indicate that 70 percent of the Muslim world were supportive of suicide bombings and things like just by not accurately representing the questions that were asked in in the studies um and Dawkins in fact he was always more cynical of the imperialist project he, he would be critical sometimes of the the war projects he didn't see um 
he wasn't as on board with the, the violence. Harris was. And most bizarrely to me, and this is something I can't reconcile, I actually read uh, Christopher Hitchens' book, Love, Poverty and War, just over the past week to prepare for this. And I was hoping I would have that moment where I came to understand how Hitchens, who really saw the depth of depravity of the US security state, when and right at the time he's he's doing his new atheist thing and advocating for um, interventions into Iraq. He's also producing, uh, he's featured in documentaries on Nicaragua about the School of the Americas and how they're training people to commit the worst kind of atrocities, tortures, rapes, mutilations, murders south of the border. And, and he makes this really insightful point that this is all done in the open. This, the School of the Americas is not hidden somewhere. You can go and stand outside it. It's they, they want you to know they're doing this in some way. And so Hitchens was the most confusing to me because um, I, I, even after reading his book, I can't really reconcile how he became, how this anti-imperialist became such a cheerleader for for war. So I'm sorry, it's a very long question. Did, did you no. did you see that parallel there of the the or the strange fact of the militarism that arose within New Atheism? Yeah, actually, it, this is this is one of the reasons why I left, and because. Uh, while that was uh while i became uh the while the the fellow atheists had told me about my behavior at around that same time i started noticing a a change within like the atheist community whereas they were calling for like uh a more aggressive stance toward the religious figures around the world one you know a great example of this is that it's still up on youtube you know, Christopher Hitchens had an interview with uh, the famous actor Charlton Heston about the first Gulf War, and it was it's, it was broadcast on CNN. And this basically shows you two sides of Christopher Hitchens. In that debate, it, Chris, uh, Charlton Heston was advocating for an invasion of Iraq, and Hitchens was not. He was actually more of a stalwart against the invasion and gave great answers as to why we shouldn't invade and think it was a mistake. Fast forward to 10 years later, 11 years later, you know, after the attacks of September 11, 2001, his entire worldview changed. And in his book, and I didn't read the whole thing, Hitch 22, he basically says that because of September 11, 2001, and this is the reason Sam Harris also gives similarly, is that because of that, their views toward religion dramatically changed. And yeah. he said that now the, now the, the, the real enemy is not no longer imperialism, but that is religious fundamentalism in the Islamic world. Amazing, isn't it? He'd actually yeah. supported the intervention in Serbia uh, with the, the war with Kosovo yeah. there. So he, he had become won over by the idea of humanitarian intervention and the idea that the US government, even though it runs torture and assassination schools mm -hmm. that it deploys south of the border, it could act in a, a morally benevolent way to protect civilian life. And that's something that... I didn't find in Hitchens a reconciliation of how he put, I, I couldn't get into like step into his shoes and see how those two thoughts could coexist in his, in his mind. I, I didn't get that. I couldn't. Uh, and in some ways his brother is kind of uh, the same way. Uh, Peter Hitchens, who's wonderful from my perspective, anyone certain issues, like he was a real champion when the lockdowns hit and saying, well, I'm not sure it's a good idea to lock down the whole economy and spend billions and billions and billions on this and, and the death of civil liberties. Uh, but, I've just actually read his book on the drugs war because I'm, I'm supposed to be debating that soon. And it's so obvious he's never read anything by, he's, he's fervently uh, in support of 
the war on drugs. And it's so obvious he's never read anything by an opponent of it and just completely arrogantly dismisses them and the whole thing. And that's, it's something in the psychology of the Hitchens brothers of, that can be incredibly insightful in their observations of the nature of power and the state, but can also be incredibly off course and very, very arrogant about it. it it's, it was a, one thing about Hitchens that I've learned over the years while following him and, and being a, a huge uh, proponent of his is that he came across very arrogant, very, very aggressive, and his aggressive tone toward religious figures was a complete like vitriol and disdain for them. And, you know, there are still videos up there of Chris Hitchens debating these people, and you can see his attitude toward them. He really didn't like these people, and he didn't know them. And, you know, one such debate was, was, was against Christopher Hedges, Chris Hedges, mm. uh, formerly of the New York Times. And basically Hedges says, you know, I don't believe in witches and warlocks and all these like talking donkeys and snakes. He goes, I don't know what, what person he's debating with, but I wasn't like that. But he never treated them any differently and said that you're all the same, basically. And Hedges, ba Hedges basically, you know, found it to be very you know, disingenuous, stuff like that. And in return, I hated Hedges for the simple fact that he was debating Hitchens. But right. later on, but later on, I found, you know, I, I found to be more in agreement with Hedges than Hitchens. And that's the irony of this at the end. Well, was that Hedges basically said to him that, you know, I went to I went to the Balkans and I, I speak Arabic. And when he went to interview some of these like Al-Qaeda figures in the Balkans fighting against the Soviets, he saw that there was one common theme was that none of them read the Quran. Or they were literate. And that's the reason why these people adhere to these, you know, fervent ideology of Wahhabism is because they have other imams telling them what to believe and what they do. Well, that's no different than, you know, your church of uh, evangelical church leader at these evangelical churches like John Hagee and Kenneth Copeland, because mm. these people don't read the Bible. They only read select versions of it. I don't know how much broad impact it had, but Christopher Hedges' book, why I don't believe in atheists hmm. seem to be like a really thorough beatdown off the new atheist position in that he makes the comparison to how they are an extremist religious group and they advocate for basically the same thing. And it is based on their, his insight was it's based on the idea of the moral improvability of man. Yeah. And Hedges has this rather dim view, a kind of a Christian view, I think in, in his perspective anyway, that hum, human beings have this original sin. And whilst we make technological improvements, we make financial improvements, we make scientific improvements, we are morally no different from the people in the ancient world. We are depraved and sinful and violent and, and all the rest. And that's, that's still our essential nature, um, which is a bit, maybe a bit more dour than um, I would be. I don't know. It's a very interesting point, but it, it was a really substantial critique of the, the new atheist movement. And as I say, I don't know how much overall impact it had, but it does appear that the movement had its time where it felt very prominent um, and, and TV shows would be made about it. It was, it was in the public consciousness. And then now it feels like it's really outside of that. Like when I just looking at Christopher Hitchens, uh, God is not great book on Amazon and reading the blurb of it. It felt like something from a different time. It felt like I was in the yeah. 1990s reading something written in the 50s okay it feels like we've moved out of that cultural age and those kind of concerns just just on the concern it was like we, we were in a time where we wanted to 
at least a segment of society wanted to break old patterns and old restrictions around religious dogma. And I don't think that's on anyone's mind today. We look at, when you look at the kind of social problems that exist today, no one is saying like, oh yeah, there's too no. much Christianity. It's actually quite the opposite in a sense. Yeah, it's absolutely. like but now the sign of social concerns people are concerned about are like people having 72 different genders. It's actually, it's like you've taken all the, the barriers away and everything goes kind of crazy, you know? That, so we do feel like in a, in a completely different world. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I when I left uh, the uh, atheism debate, right? And I delved into 9-11, the eight, the eight, the new atheism movement peaked, and I'd say it peaked between the years 2007 to 2000 and say 13. And I noticed a sharp, a very noticeable sharp decline in interest in debating the existence of God, especially on YouTube, especially on viral media. And all these famous atheists that were once big names, I mean, really big, we're talking about half a million people, hundreds of thousands of subscribers, to a lot of these people, dozens and dozens, I can name them. All of a sudden, these people don't agree. Sometimes I go back to YouTube and take a look. You know, that, that, that I go back and revisit some of those people I used to listen to and subscribe to. No longer active. Some of them are even defunct. They're not even on YouTube anymore. Not even, and these are people who had hundreds of thousands of followers. What happened to these people? What happened was, I think, is basically what you just stated, is that the interest basically straight away from the argument for God into more prescient matters. And that is basically, well, you know, what happened in the mid two, uh, you know, the mid t uh, 2010s is that basically you had uh, the, uh, the second Obama administration, the wars of Libya and Syria, prescient matters of economics and the housing co collapse in 2008. You also have you know, the Trump administration who brought back, you know, the evangelical movement inside the United States and the nationalist movement, which basically subverted any type of new atheism movement whatsoever. And now what we're left with is COVID and the COVID world and the economic uh, repercussions from it. And I think all these isms that you mentioned, like sexism and the fanatic uh, movements involved with that, and of course, the, um, the, the crisis involving... Uh, what's happening in Ukraine, all of these matters, all of these issues involving uh, religion, involving anything with to do with religion took a backseat and a far away uh, backseat in itself. It's no longer important anymore to discuss the matters of the existence of God. But I think maybe in the future, you know, when we have like this uh, radical change fundamentally in terms of religion with the next Republican president, which I think will be a radical, like evangelical, you know, proponent, we might see a revisitation of the new atheist movement with different characters this time, mm. of course, but something has to happen to facilitate that interest again, though. So I don't know what that would be. Well, one of the ways I think the project failed in popular perception was it was an attempt to underpin human morals and ethics mm. with a secular worldview, with an atheistic worldview. And that they've traditionally been the inside the domain of religion. And I think it felt really obvious to the people pushing that project that that could be done and be very simple. And I think people became cynical about that, that you could really, and in particularly in, in the area of like sexual ethics. Okay. So mm -hmm. one of the things that got Richard Dawkins into hot water 
was at one of the the conferences there was a lady who got in an elevator with a man and he essentially like propositioned her okay or he invited her to his room for coffee in a way that indicated that and she um tweeted out that this wasn't maybe the best behavior and dawkins came down on her and, and said this is ridiculous um you know he, he asked a question you gave an answer there was no threat to you <clears throat> and so this is a right and wrong answer to that but dawkins then um sort of pulling on on saying like he did some skit about how women in the Muslim world have it so bad. And what are you whinging about? He said, well, you're not only defending women here, are you? You're, you're, you're just drawing, you're not defending Muslim women there. You're just using them as a way to, you know, tell a woman in your own culture to shut up, basically. Right. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong to proposition women in hotel rooms, but Christianity in um, elevators, but Christianity has a position on that, right? There's an ethic and certain recognitions about human sexuality and the potency of that and that it has to be restrained in some way to have society and in the, the new atheist ethics to try and reduce that to simply questions of like as if we are these purely rational beings and the fact that a, a man is much bigger and physically stronger than the woman maybe and they're in a confined space and and all the rest that this might affect whether you can give a purely rational response or how that's going to feel in some way i don't think atheistic ethics had any way to deal with that situation or the million million situations like it like should children be involved in drag parades should we have 27 different genders so mm. all these kind of questions i think a lot of people more on the political right came to see that atheism uh, just wasn't up to it and historically i think we came to perhaps not take the moral and ethical underpinnings of society for granted so much that if you just scrape away the dross on the outside everyone becomes this this good person underneath and there's more of a sense that christianity changed the world in some way for what we would call the better in introducing concepts like charity and more of a concept of like oneness of oneness with your your fellow human being even if they're not in your family unit or your wider tribe they could be on the on the far side of the world and take that take that religious underpinning away and you don't really know what's going to be there so that that's what I saw with the, the collapse of it, that it couldn't ultimately live up to its promise philosophically. Yes. You know, funny thing that you mentioned this because two of the biggest atheist channels at the time, Thunderfoot, Naren, Ra, basically started venturing off into other subjects outside of atheism and the religion for God. And two, the, one subject in particular that basically caused their demise, so to speak, was feminism. And this basically... Uh, really illuminated the fact that outside of the existence of God was a scientific issues. Basically, these people had no idea about the general understanding of other people's uh, uh, problems and psychological um, uh, beliefs. So feminism basically was a big argument for these two channels. And what happened was there was a huge wave of dis dissent within the atheist community about the arguments made by both of these people, Aaron Ra and Thunderfoot, and they caught a lot of flack for it. And a lot of their subscribers left these people, you know, left them and started to uh, become disinterested in atheism as a whole and thinking that, you know, all these guys basically were the purveyors of moral justice because they actually had an argument against the more radical fundamentalists of religion. But here they are basically talking about the degradation of feminism, what it means to the um, uh, women populace, uh, not just the United States, but 
around the world as a whole. And a lot of people, especially in the feminism community, famous feminists, I forgot one woman in particular, um, I don't think it's Gloria Steinem, but uh, I forgot, she's based, I forgot her name. I wish I, I, I if I remember her name, I would know it, but um, she basically did a reputation video of Thunderfoot and, and basically called him out for his, you know, very faulty, transparent views involving women's rights and whatnot. And he fell flat. I mean, it was a big, big mistake on his part to venture into, especially Aaron Raw as well. I mean, he's a great scientist, but he's, you know, outside of that, um, you know, you could see his, where his weaknesses lay. But I think what happened was, was that, and I, I could be wrong about this, but I think their egos got bigger than, than what they imagined themselves to be. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to speak on issues that clearly they were not qualified to speak on. And it showed in the reverberation and the, uh, the, uh, the resounding response from within the atheist community as a whole. Yeah. And I think that it was fascinating to me that within less than a decade of the, the new atheist being at its height, Jordan Peterson is lecturing on not only Christianity, not only the Bible, but the old Testament the part that the atheist would be the new atheist mm. would be so opposed to and he's picking up 10 plus million views on youtube videos giving two three hour lectures on the old testament and to audiences full of young men and probably the kind of young men that 15 well not even that 10 years earlier might have been in the new atheist movement had they been born 10 years earlier and that that really signaled to me like a cultural shift okay like there's there's a return to like a movement away from a literal view to return then to looking at these texts more symbolically and more as, as they pertain to the nature of man, human nature. I, th- I think so. And you know what? I, I don't consider like Jordan Pearson part of the new atheist movement. I think he's more of a. No, completely philosopher. not. Completely yeah, not. not. You know I'm saying? So, not. but he, because he's looking at the symbolic and psychological value within the Bible stories. That's what, you know, that's what the new atheists should have done. And I think they should have, they should have done a better job at discerning the spiritual aspects aside from the literal aspects of the Bible. And not just the Bible, but they even ventured toward the Quran and the Talmud. Uh, uh, needless uh, to say that these people weren't even qualified to speak on these issues because they weren't. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the huge, the biggest atheist names at that time People like Thunderfoot, people like Sam Harris, and I mean, I, I'll save catches because I think he actually read these books. But these people didn't read any of these texts. I mean, the people I, you know, commiserated with knew nothing about the, the very texts that they considered anti-ethical to the moral condition of the human community as a whole. So how could they better? How could they understand what they didn't uh, what they didn't read? Same thing for the radical fundamentalists of each of these religions is that they don't read these books. They're being told by their leaders of what's in these books because they don't read. And, you know, that's why I brought up the Hedges argument about meeting those radical fundamentalists in the Balkans is that he knew yeah. that they didn't know anything about the, the Quran was that, well, that, that fits well with the evangelical Christians of today. They'll read like uh, misquoted books or misinterpreted books like the King James Bible, the New International Version. You know, there are over 65 different English translated Bibles in the United States that basically differ from the original uh, Latin and Greek 
of the uh, the manuscripts themselves. What's mis misinterpreted? Well, we don't know because a lot of these religious figures don't care to read the older manuscripts that basically would contradict what's written in today's books. And that's why Christians are so um, inherently divisive within their own religion. And they're the most divisive religion on the face of the earth outside of the newer religions that are you know, like Scientology and whatnot. But Christianity is the most diverse and most divisive religion, monotheism, on the face of the earth because of the so many different uh, translated Bibles that are uh, emanating from it. Okay, Adam, um, anything else you'd like to say? Well, I mean, I, I like this topic because it basically goes back to my, my line of thinking. And, you know, this is something I don't talk with many people about um, because I was an anti-theist. I was part of that um, like sectarian mindset. And I didn't go into it thinking that way. Just You'll hear this from people who leave cults. Like they, you know, these are educated people, not everyone's stupid and join these cults mm -hmm. and say, hey, I want to join a cult. You know, they join these groups because of the like-mindedness, the, the, the agreement toward another fellow man. You know, you don't join, you know, groups to basically argue one another or, or you know, or have a different mindset. But I think the, the lesson learned here is that um, just because somebody thinks and acts or believes just like you, uh, isn't the same as somebody who thinks and reacts or believes in something different like you. The one commonality we have in common is that we're all human beings. And that's the commonality that people don't want to remember or don't you know, care for. They want to become a select part of something or a select group of something. And that's the real uh, uh, evolution that we need to um, basically adhere to, uh, apply in our own lives is that we need to get out of this tribalistic mindset that we haven't evolved yet, yet out from. And very few people have talked about this, is that um, you know the evolution of technology has grown at leaps and bounds. But when it comes to the human condition, we haven't evolved much at all. And we have a lot of similarities between ourselves and say Cro-Magnon man, in many ways, more than one. Hmm. Thank you very much, Adam. Enjoyed that. Speak again soon. Yeah, thank you very much, Richard.